This is the EPFR Exchange Podcast. All opinions expressed by Cam, Todd, and our podcast guests are solely of their own opinion and do not reflect the opinion of EPFR or Informa, its parent company. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the EPFR Exchange Podcast. My name is Kirsten Longbottom, and I'm joined by EPFR's resident economist, Cameron Brandt. We'll walk you through what our teams were monitoring last week in the data that EPFR tracks, as well as what we'll look for in the upcoming weeks. Since we last spoke, the second quarter closed out and the third quarter is now in full swing. Cam, what are some themes from the first half this year that you expect to continue into the third quarter? <laughs> well, I'm sure the uh, the investors who use the mutual funds and ETFs we track hope that none of them, by and large, persist into the into the third quarter. Nothing, to be honest, that was has been terribly surprising. Um, you know the uh, the balance between uh, curbing inflation and not completely clubbing uh, economic growth on its head has obviously um, been the focal point for many investors uh, who have gone from uh, being unhappy that the Fed and the ECB were getting so far behind the inflationary curve to upset that they're <laughs> being quite aggressive, uh, certainly in relative terms, uh, and that uh, it certainly looks like economic growth is going to struggle uh, to stay in positive territory uh, towards the end of this year. There are some positive trends that have momentum, certainly dividend uh, equity funds uh, had a strong quarter, and I suspect they will be uh, continue to be a go-to. Um, the SRIESG funds, though, uh, flows have certainly been choppier this year. They're still positive more often than not. It is still a theme that uh, investors are to w- willing to rally around. Um, we did see some interest in Latin America, more than I certainly expected uh, at the end of the quarter. Um, you know, Obviously, if you look at it purely through the political lens, then the trends there are not uh, not ideal. You've got uh, sort of anti-free market is too too strong a phrase, but you know presidents who are skeptical about uh, the free markets and and certainly advocates of a much bigger role for the state uh, now hold the pre- the presidencies in Peru, Chile, and Colombia. Um, Mexico already had. Uh, uh, Obrador, um, and you know, it certainly looks like Brazil is heading towards uh, a return to an administration headed by you know a leftist who certainly proved moderate and sensible in his uh, his last stint in office, but uh, maybe feeling a little less uh, accommodating this time around. Um, a lot of uh, focus on uh, Asia uh, for a variety of reasons, um, trying to get the measure of where the Chinese economy is going. Um, Asia does offer a, a corner of the world where inflation, while it's present and certainly higher than it has been for some time, uh, in most cases is not the, the issue it is in Europe and the U.S., um, 
so it's not going to have quite the interest rate constraints. But uh, just as the quarter ended and the new one started, we've been seeing choppier flows into Japan equity and bond funds as investors start to question whether the Bank of Japan can continue to uh, operate uh, an ultra-accommodative policy in splendid isolation. Um, that didn't matter so much when inflation was really stable. But uh, now that uh, you know, you're having to import lots of dollar-denominated commodities when their price is going up and then they're their cost is even higher because you're paying for them in yens, which have depreciated uh, very significantly against the dollar, you know, upsets a fair number of calculations about uh, profitability and the value of asset classes. Um, but uh, I'm, you know, I'm certainly expecting another uh, choppy quarter. Um, Markets tend to be more thinly traded through the summer, certainly the Northern Hemisphere summer, and that can have the effect of sort of magnifying um, events as they happen, and then those magnifications uh, take on uh, a life of their own. You know, there's certainly the potential for a number of inflection points that could make things from a market perspective better. Uh, the, the first is that uh, there's some signs that the Ukraine-Russia conflict uh, is heading towards an end point. Uh, that would certainly uh, be a, a big white swan for global markets. Um, you know, I think when we see uh, inflation roll over in a credible way uh, in the U.S. and Europe, um, that uh, that will certainly, I think, to a number of different groups of investors signal bottom and, and a time to perhaps uh, rebuild uh, positions. You know, it is my personal opinion that uh, this bout of central bank tightening is really not going to last terribly long, that uh, the, given the much broader mandates that certainly most of the major central banks are operating under, um, they're going to be back in a position of uh, you know, having to consider economic growth and employment rates sooner rather than later. Um, so, uh, you know, my sense is the third quarter is going to be another one that uh, is going to cause a certain amount of heartache, uh, but that the fourth quarter probably, uh, for better or worse, will will have greater clarity and um, that you'll sort of see more decisive uh, moves by the investment community uh, in the final three months of the year. All right. So it seems like there's many factors weighing in and, um, you know, things keep keep creating a, a choppy investment case. So um, in the latest week, we did see investor interest leaning towards liquidity with the biggest inflow year to date for money market funds. Um, but in the 27 weeks so far this year, six to 16 of them have been outflows. And I looked into the cumulative flows for this group since EPFR started tracking them in 2007. And flows spiked significantly shortly after the height of the pandemic in the first quarter of 2020. 
And since then, they've peaked twice in July of 2020 and then December of 2021. What is guiding the flows for these funds as of lately? People and companies use those for a variety of reasons, uh, ranging from short-term ones, you know, uh, creating liquidity before an event that they um, will need uh, cash to deal with, uh, and picking up a few basis points in the in that interim period. Um, so things like uh, quarterly tax payments in the U.S., uh, you know, wage bills uh, or bonus payments. Um, uh, I think what we have seen this year is that you know if you divide the the flows by retail versus institutional, um, you know, retail investors are having are having to draw on what they stashed away uh, in the immediate aftermath of the pandemic to sort of cope with you know, higher day to day costs. Um, but um, you know, people seem, you know, I, I again, this is one of the things I'm a little surprised at their willingness to go to cash, given you know how quickly inflation uh, erodes the value, and we have not really seen them turn to gold or certainly seek exposure through gold funds and ETFs uh, in the way that we have during previous. Crises, uh, you know. In fact, both gold and silver funds seem to be moving more in line with uh, their sort of industrial and practical use cases than they are, if, you know, in their uh, store of value anti-inflationary uh, hat. Um, yeah, I think I think you know it's a, it's a hard investment climate for for uh, investors to get a grip on, especially with, given what we've seen over the past decade. Uh, there's, I think, a residual feeling that every time they've sort of reacted uh, rationally to what would seem like negative. Uh, news, uh, it simply involved uh, liquidating positions that then promptly took off again and would have (laughs) delivered much more value to you if you'd held on to them. so I, th- I think investor psychology has not really caught up with all that's going on at the moment. Um, you know, the the Russia's invasion of the Ukraine is is the first um, geopolitical event with real bite, um, certainly in over a decade, and you know, arguably longer. So it, it will take, I think, a while for people to sort of get a fix and really settle on a strategy for the the new normal, which is slowly evolving. You've been diving deeper into emerging markets over the past few weeks and producing a series of insights on this group, which are available through EPFR's LinkedIn. But what are your big takeaways that you've been highlighting on these? The issues that are um, sort of peculiar to the emerging markets universe, where is the exposure that would have been settled on Russia and Ukraine going? Um, Which markets are benefiting? Um, Whether China, both in the equity and fixed income space, I mean, that's, again, one of those almost statements of the obvious, but... uh, 
sentiment towards uh, Chinese debt has certainly turned with a vengeance. I think we've only seen one weekly inflow, and I'm going to say the past 20 weeks. And uh, there was a period there where China bond funds uh, took in money, I think, uh, for well over 50 straight weeks. Um, you know, a, a lot of the, pre- of, of the uh, sort of approach to China this year was based on the premise that um, it really would deliver stable, positive growth because that is what the politics of the ruling Communist Party dictated leading up to their um, major conference in the fourth quarter of the year. Um, that uh, <laughs> hasn't played out as smoothly as many expected. Uh, uh, I think that there was an assumption that uh, the approach to COVID would also be treated pragmatically if uh, uh, if it interfered with economic growth, and that has uh, turned out to not be the case. So then again, sort of the uh, the relative enthusiasm for different corners of the uh, APAC universe. Um, you know, China isn't the only game in town. Uh, we have seen a strong interest in Taiwan, uh, the, which you know, China c- continues to regard as renegade province. Um, but um, in a year, a few positive consensus is one to emerge is that uh, Events in Ukraine have shown China that even if it ultimately turns to military action for re- reunification, that uh, it needs to be really well planned. That uh, you know um, what might be obvious uh, on the drawing board rapidly breaks down when you actually go head to head. So with that in mind, uh, investors really feel free to sort of play Taiwan's semiconductor story and and, and uh, you know, bet that uh, that market will bounce back. Uh, been looking at frontier markets, which is the, the next tier below. Usually, popular might be the wrong word, but usually get some interest in periods like this because it isn't as correlated uh, to the, the uh, emerging and developed markets. But investors have really, by and large, kept their distance so far this year. And when they have engaged, it's really sort of focused on Vietnam and its supply chain relocation story. Hasn't been a lot of, you know, there's been some appetite for diversified exposure, but in terms of direct country exposure, it's been v- Vietnam or nothing. Uh, and Vietnam currently accounts for sort of a fifth of the average frontier market's equity fund portfolio. Uh, interestingly, Nigeria is the biggest single country weight uh, in, the, in the frontier markets bond funds we track. Very interesting. Well, I guess we'll wrap it up with this one. But um, you briefly mentioned China bond funds. But uh, more broadly, in the latest reporting week, ending June 7th, we saw bond funds snap a four-week outflow streak with a 13-week high inflow. Um, which asset classes or country fund groups helped that overall headline number reach positive? It was pretty much all down to U.S., um, which uh, I, I don't think is une- unexpected. Um, 
you know, people who invested in debt for sort of uh, you know, capital preservation uh, reasons have have obviously been bailing out as interest rate climbs, but that creates an opening for investors who are a bit more interested in yield. Um, yeah, especially, you know, if like me, you think that there's going to be a fairly short-lived period of sort of rising interest rates uh, at some point, uh, if you're interested in buying some assets that actually generate <laughs> a bit more cash than we're used to seeing off of uh, off of a sovereign bond, you know, this this might be your moment. So. Um, uh, there was a, a little bit of money coming into Europe bond funds. Um, uh, again, I think there's a feeling that uh, though the uh, European Central Bank will raise rates, uh, it's going to be pragmatic about it. And uh, given where the economy seems to be headed, that pragmatism can really only have one answer, which is no more rate hikes and maybe even a rate cut by the end of the year. Um, yeah, and plus, you know, they, they ha- the ECB has been sending anti-fragmentation signals uh and, and you know anyone who's invested in in Europe for some time a has a fairly thick skin and b knows that there've been multiple periods when people thought the market was about to implode and time after time it muddles through so <laughs> great well thank you cam and look forward to chatting with you next week good always is <laughs> yeah so there'll be more to talk about Thanks for listening to the EPFR Exchange podcast. For more information or to suggest a topic for a future podcast, please visit epfr.com slash podcast. 